Welcome to the first post-Brexit edition of the Farming Programme. After all the debate, the uncertainty, at 11 o'clock on Friday night, we left the EU, albeit entering the transitional period. But what happens next? Or rather, what do you hope happens next? That's what we're discussing this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Hello, yes, January the 31st has been and gone. February is here and life outside of the European Union. It feels very much the same though, doesn't it? Uh, The transitional period is key to what happens next and farming bodies are lobbying hard to make sure food production is a top priority. As we saw with uh, NFU President Manette Batter's appearance on Question Time on Thursday. Nick Dowler runs Neat Farm with his neat flock and is Lincolnshire chairman of the NFU. Nick, what happens now? Well, uh, we've got months and months of negotiations in front of us, and there's still the very slight possibility of a no deal on the table, and that will be totally catastrophically disastrous for farming, in the sense that many of the small family farms would disappear. So we're hoping that the negotiations will, will go well, and uh, farmers really across the country, not just Lincoln, will be wanting to see legislation underpinning the government's assurances that they'll not allow imports of food produced at standards that would be illegal here. Uh, w- we need to maintain the standards, and we won't do that if we allow in all sorts of uh, un- unrestricted production in other parts of the world in- onto our market, which will undercut us. We need a level playing field. And we can only get that if we maintain British standards. Minette Batters raised that very issue on on Question Time with, with James Cleverly. Uh, his response seemed to be that the legislation isn't in the Agricultural Bill because the public don't want to lower food standards, so we don't need to legislate for it. That, that seemed like a crazy argument to me. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um the thing is, what about the labelling according to this? Yes, the British public don't want it, but when they're, I don't know, shopping in the supermarket, how many of them actually pick up and have a look at the label? Where's it from? They don't know. So, uh, yes, that's a very poor argument indeed. We definitely need some legislation to that and possibly a standards commission as a matter of priority to oversee and advise on future food trade policy and negotiations. So what can be done? It doesn't seem like the government is going to to legislate. They seem to be going down a certain route. I know the NFU, other farming bodies, would like them to go down another route. I guess lobbying continuing then for the next 11 months? Yes, I think so. And uh, I I think Manette Batters and the others in the leadership team are quite capable of standing their ground and making a jolly good argument. Uh, I think already we've seen that uh, we're making our presence felt. And how do you feel, obviously, with the neat flock and, you know, on your own farm? How how do you think Brexit might have an impact on you? Well, although I don't export, I sell to markets, which probably do. And um, it's pretty volatile at the moment, but I can see it becoming even more so uh, if we don't get this support from, from the government. Uh, and it's extremely difficult to plan, extremely difficult to think ahead when you have absolutely no idea what your income may be. So uh, from, I think that's true of many of our Lincolnshire farmers, that they're, they're concerned very much about the future. And, uh, and this maintaining standards is, is the big one. 
And of course, we're facing challenging times as it is at the moment with the, the, with the wet autumn uh, that we've had and, uh, and, and other issues. So uh, we've said this now for four years, but clarity and some kind of certainty is really what, what agriculture needs, isn't it? Uh, yes, quite right. Quite right. And it's been a very tough year all round. And having this hanging over us, which it has been now for three years, so um, the uncertainty, and then add to that this atrocious weather we've suffered. Um, you, you'll see now that the the arable guys are out there getting seed in as quickly as they can at the moment, which should have been done months ago. So yeah, the, there's there's worry and stress all round, but hopefully we'll get through the other side. We generally do. Yeah, we, it, we'll work it out somehow, won't we, Nick? Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Appreciate that. That's uh, Nick Dowler there at the NFU. So, with Brexit over, what does the future hold for agriculture? Well, according to organisers of the Lincolnshire Farming Conference, the future is now, as we'll discover in a short while. First, our agronomist Sean Sparling joins us. How are you feeling, Sean, 32 hours into our new world? Yes, good morning, Sean. Well, I don't feel any different at all, even though we're now out of the EU. You know, we've been released after 50-odd years of captivity. We're all running feral across the countryside, hordes of us, all celebrating the fact that we're no longer under the the evil watchful eye, depending on which angle you're coming at it from, of the bureaucrats in the EU. Marvellous. But we're always going to have someone telling us what to do. My friend Martin Farley used to say we're free to do as we're told, and he was bang on. That has never been as true as it is today. I think if we ask the question of how do you feel this time next year after the politicians and the negotiators and the bureaucrats behind those negotiators and politicians see if they've done their job on getting us a decent trade deal with the rest of Europe because if we've got tariffs on our export market it's going to blow the whole export market to pieces we can't have that so I hope the promises we've been made and the noises that have been made are accurate these people need to get off the backsides pull their finger out and get this job sorted because we must not go into 2021 with no trade deal that would be catastrophic to agriculture and for those people not involved in agriculture it's important to understand that when the government are talking about this net zero target of emissions and we must capture our carbon and store our carbon there is one industry which is capable of storing carbon sequestering carbon which is a term for the long-term storage of carbon it can only be stored in land which means it is only agriculture which is capable of doing that on a big scale so we need to support agriculture public money for public good that's precisely if that's not public good i don't know what is so let's get behind our farmers and we need to understand the problems that they are facing you know we're asking our growers to put crops in the ground when we don't even know whether there's a market for them to sell those crops and it will be all at the farmer's risk we need to understand the pressure that farmers are under not least in a spring like this and i know the lincolnshire farming conference is all about the future the future will take care of itself you know where we've come in the last 10 years smartphones 12 years ago we didn't even have smartphones we rely on them now so the next five or ten years those advances we're going to see will be off the scale we will all adopt them they will come time and tide waits for no man the future is an inevitability there's nothing we can do about it the important thing for me and for farmers listening to this at the moment is now it is the present it is looking at fields and seeing how wet they are how much water they've had how little drying has gone on 
over the course of the last few weeks. How much work we've got to do and how many fields that look like this we're supposed to be putting crops into within the next few weeks by about the 6th or the 10th of April. All of the spring wheat, the spring barley, the sugar beet, the peas, the beans, linseed, all of these things are supposed to be already drilled by that point. And unless we get a February reminiscent of February 2019, where we had most of the month were temperatures in the high teens or the low 20s, it was sunny, it was windy, it was warm to dry the land out. Unless we get three or four weeks of that, there won't be many significant wheels being turned much before the middle of March. And then if you think you're only going to have two or three weeks to get all of those jobs done, you realise how significant the issue is. And I hope that any landlords and land agents that are listening who are contemplating rent rises and rent increases on these tenant farms... You need to understand the scale of the problem we're facing because I have farms I cannot put my hand on my heart and say to them on fields which have just been lifted carrots or cabbages or leeks or sugar beet or potatoes or maize which are absolutely like the Somme. These fields need leaving alone. We shouldn't be trying to force things into them. It will do more harm to that soil than good and the landlords will be the ones that suffer off the back of that. But we also shouldn't be putting pressure on farmers to increase their rent so that they have no choice but to force crops into these fields and fight a losing battle throwing good money after bad just to make sure they've got the money to pay an increase in rent. I hope there are people listening to this who will take note and understand that spring 2020 is a totally different situation to anyone that we've been involved in before. Not least because we haven't got the crop in from the the autumn that's all got to go in as well so as far as the crops that we already have in the ground winter all seed rate the light leaf spot is there any point putting a protectant fungicide onto a plant that's not growing and a disease which isn't moving when all you have is protection if we've got three weeks protection from a fungicide there's no point putting it on in conditions where neither the disease nor the plant is going to grow because if the disease comes in in four weeks time you're going to have to put another fungicide on, so you might as well keep your money in your pocket. The most important thing you can be doing out there at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, is putting about 30 kilos of nitrogen across every hectare of plant food nitrogen on any emerged crop of winter cereal, whether it be wheat or barley or rye or oats, because they cannot have much more nitrate left in the soil. Similarly with sulfate, it would benefit them to get that ready for when they start to move because they will start to move as soon as things warm up all seed rape as well 50 kilos of nitrogen plus sulfate now another 50 kilos of nitrogen plus sulfate at the end of february and then the balance of your nitrogen at the end of march that plant food is the key to everything not a lot of point putting trace elements on out there not a lot of point in trying to control bydv aphid vectors if you can find them there's just there's no point doing a lot of other things other than making plans for everything going forward over the next few weeks and getting that plant food nitrogen on these crops if you possibly can. So let's see what the next seven days bring, Sean. We'll chat again in seven days then. Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Now, Sean mentioned the next big agricultural event is the Lincolnshire Farming Conference happening a week on Tuesday and Simon Day is its chairman. Yeah, we've got a, um, a fantastic uh, lineup for this year's conference, uh, The Future Is Now, um, which is really sort of relevant to us here in Lincolnshire um, with the uh, Lincoln University been awarded a big um, big sum of money to really bring uh, sort of the robotics um, investigate robotics for uh, for farming in, in, as a whole um, so we've got some really good speakers um, we've got Sam Watson Jones of the small robot company 
um, talking about what they're what they're doing and how their business has developed and the services that they're going to going to offer and their view on the the future of um, robotics uh, and what they can offer to uh, to farmers, which is sort of happening um, and been rolled out uh, sort of this next year, really. Um, then we've also got Professor Simon Pearson from the Lincoln University um, talking about the the sort of the investment they've had and what they're looking at, at doing and how uh, how that's going to change the uh, the sort of the face of Lincolnshire farming systems potentially in the future. And then to conclude that session, we've got Michael Horsch from uh, Horsch Machinery, um, and he's going to sort of give his view on on the future of. Uh, robotics and what Horsch are, are doing with their machinery. Um, they're one of the sort of biggest and fastest growing machinery manufacturers in the world um, and are probably at the leading edge of uh, developing that, that technology as well on a sort of global scale. So he'll have a, a global um, view on uh, on where that, that technology is going. So a really interesting sort of first session on the, on the robotics in the future. I know, uh, obviously, having been at the, the farming conference over the, the last few years since it started, it's amazing that that first farming conference, I think there was a, a few robotics there, but even in this short space of time, the technology has, has changed beyond belief, really, hasn't it? Yes, it has, yeah. Yeah, no, the things that uh, years ago we thought would never happen in uh, in agriculture, um, the money that's been invested in, in agricultural, ag- agricultural robotics, um, really bringing that technology to the fore now is uh, is immense, and yeah, Lincolnshire, um, we're very lucky to have the the sort of um, the central uh, hub really um, with the Lincoln University and the University of Cambridge in East Anglia, um, bringing those sort of doctoral students in to uh, to really study robotics and see how it's going to change the face of farming. Yeah. And of course, we stand at a, a critical time. What with uh, Brexit happening, so looking to the future is is something that well, the industry really needs to embrace, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. The, the agriculture and, and farming, as we know it, is going to change. Um, it's got to change over the next few years with the leaving the EU, the, the subsidies um, that we'll lose, the environmental uh, things that will be will be sort of more focus on on achieving on farm um, and we've really got to earn earn the money that we get um, and robotics and farming smarter has got to be play a big part part of that um, which hopefully Stuart Roberts from the NFU uh, he'll conclude the, the conference um, with the title farming beyond brexit will have been out of the EU for 11 days at that point um, in the transitional period so it'll be uh, interesting to see what the NFU have, have got um, news to tell us about their their thoughts and views on, on where things are going to go in the future. Yeah. Simon Day there, chairman of the Lincolnshire Farming Conference, happening a week on Tuesday, February the 11th, just before my birthday, the day before it, if you want to bake me a cake if you're there. Let's return to the subject of last year's floods. The farming programme Steve Orchard has been looking at one aspect that may not have reared its ugly head yet. And that's the possible effects of the flooding on crop diversification requirements for subsidy claims. 
If, because of the state of the land, you can't meet the crop diversification rules, then you may be able to claim force majeure, or forces beyond your control. Although this may not become relevant or even noticeable until the spring, it's important to be prepared and remember to collect the evidence now that could help you explain why the wet weather has prevented you from meeting the basic payment scheme rules. For example, rainfall data showing that the rain was exceptional when you would normally be drilling or planting seed invoices and delivery notes, your original cropping plans for 2020 before the heavens opened, and any photographs, letters from suppliers saying that they cannot supply you, and so on. Also, think ahead as to what other unforeseen circumstances could affect this year's plans. Remember that land temporarily flooded remains eligible for the basic payment scheme and can be claimed as normal. If the area is fallow and temporary grass and leguminous crops together make up more than 75% of your arable land, they will be exempt from crop diversification requirements. A further exemption could apply if more than three quarters of all the agricultural area is permanent or temporary grassland. Spring and winter varieties count as different crops, independent of their sowing date, and fail crops can count as the crop originally established or be managed to count as fallow land. Matthew Ayres of Surveyors Fisher German said that they would hope that the Rural Payments Agency will recognise the problems that farmers have faced recently due to the adverse weather conditions well in advance of the basic payment scheme application deadline and issue some much-needed further guidance sooner rather than later to ease concerns. And of course, if you're in any doubt, have a word with your own advisor. Thanks, Steve. That's Steve Orchard there. Now, staying with the floods, there was some good news this week at Short Ferry. You might remember it was badly flooded last November. This week, the road reopened, but for the farm's owner, Henry Ward, the misery continues 12 weeks on. Stuart Roberts is vice president of the NFU, and we chatted with him originally on the bridge overlooking Henry's land late last year, just looking at thousands of acres of water. Well, as I say, the road going past may be open, the land itself is still underwater. So when I caught up with Stuart again recently, I asked whether he felt something has to change to stop such things happening again. This last year has really brought into sharp focus the importance of water. Uh, It is probably the topic I talk more about than anything else. And for me, it is the number one priority going forward. Climate change, we talk about climate change in its widest sense. What we are seeing uh, with floods, but also we spoke last year at the Lincolnshire show about droughts. Uh, And actually, it is how we handle that water. We have got to prioritise investment in both uh, infrastructure, in maintenance, in thinking about water. And actually, for me, we also need to think about it in a positive way. So with climate change, we in this country will be in a very fortunate position in comparison to some of our competitors that we will at least have water. We just need to be better at catching it, moving it, and when it gets on farmland, getting it off is a key to that, and I think that's been one of the real challenges. Stood on that bridge, Sean, was, um, it was a pretty moving experience. You know, you did look as though you were looking out at the sea. Uh, a sea with a farmyard in the middle of it, a farmhouse in the middle of it, um, and we need to make sure that everyone from the highest levels of government uh, wake up to the importance of water, uh, and I really hope this year we'll start to see, uh, see that change uh, and really start to uh, ignite a much bigger discussion in how we integrate water, both in terms of floods when we've got too much 
but droughts when we don't have enough. And look, every farm around the country, my own included, uh, have had a tough, tough autumn. I have got uh, the grand sum of 75 yards of winter cropping done before I got stuck. Um, it's going to be a tough spring. Um, you know, last autumn was horrific for those that were still harvesting, even more horrific for people like Henry and, and the hundreds of farmers around the country in a similar situation. But let's use this to have a legacy which is taking water more seriously. That's Stuart Roberts at the NFU. The detailed weather for the week ahead soon. First, the open field report from Kit Dickinson. What's happening, Kit? Well, the the UK markets really are following the American markets at the moment as the consumer continues to sit back and wait. And to be honest, why wouldn't they? The, The panic buying of two weeks ago has now disappeared until the new crop situation becomes clearer. As you already know, many domestic buyers have bought and have cover, so we are rolling January wheat into February. If we do have a 16 million tonne crop, which we think we have, then at some point the market will likely come under pressure as it physically cannot move this year's wheat in the marketing campaign. Mills are looking at alternatives, one being barley, which we could hardly give away in November, and the other one being maize to add to their rations. It doesn't make a huge difference to world exports as India are self-sufficient, But next time you wonder who is having a good time in this growing season and the IGC raise the world wheat numbers, think of India. In India, favourable forecasts and an increase in the planted area could lead to a record wheat production this year, with some estimates predicting a 6.3% increase from a year ago to reach 4 billion bushels. India is now the number two wheat producing country. Looking more locally, wheat continues to be drilled at a slow pace, mainly after sugar beet, and mainly on light land. As I have said before, there are some varieties that can be drilled up to the end of February, which now gives us one month to go. The question is, how much wheat can we get in the ground in this time frame? Oilseed rate has certainly dropped away from the highs of a couple of weeks ago and has settled at £13 off the top. It will be interesting to keep an eye on the price of oilseed rape in the next few months, as there are many questions unanswered. How much cover do the crushes have going forward? Do we have enough all-seed rape to supply them for the rest of this marketing year? Looking forward to new crop, we know that there has been a reduced area drilled and a lot of pressure from flea beetle and slugs. How much further will the area reduce? Will we put any spring all-seed rape in as a replacement? All of these factors will have a bearing on the market going forward, so please keep your eye on the pricing structure. Barley, £130 extra farm is still achievable for May. But how long will these prices stay as a large barley crop is still forecasted to be planted this spring on the back of a record barley crop last year? An excess of 800,000 tonnes of malting barley is still in the country. Spring seed of many different varieties is still available, so if you do require spring seed, please get in contact with your open field farm business manager for more details. So moving on to prices this week. Feed wheat for February, 147 to 149. April the same at 147 to 149, moving slightly higher for May 150 to 152, and November new crop 157 to 159. Milling premiums are still £20. Oilseed rate for February is 323 to 325, for April 325 to 327, and May 327 to 329. At the moment, there are limited prices further forward for all seed rape. Barley for February is 125 to 127, April 127 to 129, 
and as I said earlier, May 130 to 132. November new crop 129 to 131. And malting premiums are circa £8. Thanks, Kit. That's uh, Kit Dickinson at Open Field. Right, let's see what the weather has in store for us. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it starts mild this week. Temperatures nudging 11 Celsius. Maybe some rain today. Drier tomorrow and Tuesday, though, with sunnier skies, although colder air will push in. That means temperatures back into single figures, highs around 7 Celsius going forward after today. Overnight temperatures, they'll be 8 or 9 first thing uh, tomorrow morning, uh, then 3 by first thing on Tuesday morning quite a difference. The winds, they'll be from the south today, then more westerly through much of the rest of the week. 20 miles an hour, maybe gusting at 40 miles an hour for a time. And then by the end of the week, it looks like it'll return to being milder but cloudy once again. For now, that's the forecast. Uh, Back to our theme of the future is now and that farming conference a week on Tuesday. Agricultural chaplain Alan Robson will be there and says now really is the time to be looking to the future. The future is now. The challenges are different, but how do we get people together to say we can make this work? How do we make agriculture, ecology work for the economy? How do we remain profitable so that we can together build a, a healthy future? And I think uh, the conference on the 11th of February is, yes, for the farming community, but it would be good value for educationalists and for people in the community to listen to some of the debate there. And, uh, yeah, we not agree about everything whether it's water resource or fossil fuel or how people relate to each other. Um, But we have to live together because it's only one planet anyway. And I think there's lots of opportunities. Alan Robson there. Right, that's it for another week's farming. Please do get in touch if there's anything you think worth a mention here on the programme. Your feedback is always welcome and your ideas. And if there's something you'd like included, then who knows, maybe we will next week. Until then. Have a good week's farming.